and just let it fly. I mean, I kind of go forward like a wrecking ball and just break stuff and see what sticks. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Smarter Destiny podcast, and I'm super excited today because I have my good friend, Justin Christensen, on the show today. He is coming at us from Texas. It's 10 a.m. He's already done his kickboxing, and um, I'm super stoked to speak to him. Justin and I uh, met a couple of years back in Vancouver, of all places. Neither of us are from Vancouver. We had a lot of mutual friends at that point, so, you know, we started with, oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so type conversation. That led to us both speaking on stage and then um, getting the fuck out of town to get some sushi um, and uh, trawl the streets, the very, very quiet streets in this town that was outside of Vancouver. And then I think we got some uh, frozen yogurt. So it was good. It was pr- it was bromance at first sight. <laughs> and <laughs> we've been hanging out and chatting ever since. Justin, how the hell are you? Hey, doing good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. You can't forget like- about the guy coming out of the camper in Vancouver saying that the, the heroin was great. He needed a beer. Exactly. I was like, we're in the wrong part of town. <laughs> I forgot that. all the memories are coming back. I feel like I just poked a little memory at you. Of course, yeah, we walked past and he was like, heroin's great in there. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, like, that's no, when you know you're in a good place. Yeah. <laughs> so so for any Vancouvians, uh, first off, apologies for calling you a Vancouvian. And second of all, we were actually like on the real outskirts of a town outside of Vancouver um, f- during this episode. I'm not suggesting that you're beautiful in a, <laughs> in a past. Or a yeah, Vancouver's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Vancouver's awesome. <laughs> We were. Of it wasn't. Not so much, but the sushi was great. Anyway, so um, yeah, so uh, Justin's agreed to be on this podcast today, and I'm super stoked, as I've mentioned. And um, we're chatting off air a little bit about a sort of logical uh, part to get started. And um, a great place, I think, for any entrepreneur, anyone that sort of takes the plunge, is the kind of last point where you're employed to the first point where you become an entrepreneur and feel sick daily normally because of the stress and pressure until you get used to it. So Justin, what, take us back to the, let us know when that time is, but take us back to that time, the, the final time where you were employed and what happened from there? Yeah. I, I mean, it's quite a few years ago, but I was working as an electrician um, and we were building a building working like 80 something plus hours a week. And I mean, I was in my early 20s, so, you know, I still had all the energy and stamina and all of those things. But 80 hours a week upon 80 hours a week, manual labor, crawling up in ladders and small places and being dirty and wet. And I just got tired of it. Um, I was like, I cannot keep doing that. And I had a kind of a side hustle a little bit. I was kind of dabbling in lead gen and I was doing some affiliate marketing stuff and just really kind of failing and not really making any money. And then I started gaining a little bit of traction and I thought, I just cannot do this manual labor stuff anymore. So I went off and started selling cell phones um, business to business so I could have some flexibility to, you know, kind of work on my, you know, other business. And I was struggling hard. Not, I mean, I took a huge pay cut. I just, I couldn't, bear to climb another ladder again uh, and, you know, 
do that and I was just beat up and tired. And then two months before I got married, uh, back in 2005, I went to my wife, I was making, you know, just a couple thousand bucks a month in my side hustle and, uh, went to my then fiance now wife and said, Hey, you know, I'm working on this at nights and weekends and evenings and I'm doing, you know, okay. And back then a couple thousand bucks to us was, was awesome. You know, I didn't know the big wide world out there. Um, so I, you know, there were tears shed and it was mainly yours. Time. Yeah. I mean, it was nervous. It was, you know, before that I just, you know, go get a good job. And I was had a great job being an electrician and, um, you know, took the plunge kind of a little bit to do the cell phone stuff. And then I jumped in full force and then failed miserably hmm. for a couple of years following that. But I dove in head first and started working on it full time, uh, you know, and so, and so, what uh, what took you into um, selling cell phones? So, 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 you were doing lead generation. What were you generating leads for? What sort of things were you generating? I was doing for? affiliate marketing for info products um, at the time. Just kind of, you know, we were doing a little bit of eBay. We were doing a little bit of kind of everything at the time, and I just knew that I couldn't. I'd always kind of had the entrepreneurial bug or gene, I guess, because my dad is pretty entrepreneurial, but. I was always kind of taught to just get a good stable job and that's my environment mm. and you know, growing up in very farm community and rural community, you just had that. That's what you did. And I went into the cell phone stuff because I was frankly scared of selling, mm. of sales, of getting in front of people and being told no. Um, but I'm good at talking to people. I'm generally kind of introverted, but I am good at talking to people. I'm good at kind of telling the story and, you know, engaging with people. So I went in to sell cell phones because I was just frankly tired and couldn't figure out how to sell. Um, so I got out of my comfort zone very, very hard. And this job was not just waiting for people to come into a retail location. It was B2B. So I had to be out there pounding the pavement knocking on business doors saying, who's your cell phone provider? Can I pr provide your entire company with cell phone plan? Um, and I failed miserably at it, but it got me to say no, or, you know, a, a bunch of people to say no to me and basically slam the door in my face and, you know, worry about how to get around the no soliciting signs and get past the gatekeeper and doing all of those things that really kind of shaped me and opened my eyes to something bigger as I was building my kind of internet business. Uh, and then I became a number one affiliate for a company that I was promoting, eventually became partners in that company. We grew it, you know, I think 450% the first year that we were all partners together into a multi-million dollar business. And then we grew it again, almost double the next year. Um, so it's, it's really kind of catapulted me into, you know, the entrepreneurial journey and failing miserably at a bunch of things and being, you said, getting used to being an entrepreneur. And yeah. I don't know if we all ever get used no. to the uncomfortableness of it um, and the stresses that come with it. Um, my business partner and I joke now that our business has kind of taken a mind of its own. And we joke like one week we want to burn the place to the ground. The next week it's the greatest <laughs> business on the planet. And sometimes that comes multiple times a day. Uh, but 
um, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to be something different and I knew that I couldn't. And going back to even when I was an electrician and working those 80 plus hours a week, my foreman came to me and it's like, oh yeah, yesterday we were here at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to need you to be here at five. And then I was working at like, we were knocking, you know, strapping on a tool belt at 5 a.m. and we weren't getting home till nine o'clock at night. Because we're working these just ridiculous hours trying to finish up this project. And this went on for weeks. Mm. And I, I just couldn't. And he was the laziest person on the planet. So it was all of us working. And he was just kind of pointing and telling people what to do. And we were working all of these you know, crazy long hours. And I just couldn't keep that up anymore. And what was his name? <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> ah, okay. His name might have been Aaron. Aaron. Uh, maybe, yeah. You're a lazy I, bastard, Aaron. All right. Okay, I, I so, remember. I mean, yeah. I remember. I could, I could picture him. And I could picture him not doing anything. Um, but All right. I can't, All right. I can't, so, but I, I do vividly remember, you know, the conversation where my wife and I were sitting um, in our small apartment, you know, thinking that there's bigger and better out there and, you know, taking the leap to cut the ties with, you know, that stable job and kind of putting matters into my own hands. And I did, I failed miserably for a while. You know, I, I did okay, but for my, my terms at that time, but looking back, it was like, oh my God, how did I ever survive yeah. uh, on that? And, and you know, I think we reached that pinnacle in our entrepreneurial journey where, you know, the different dollar amounts that you make become smaller and less shocking mm. you know yeah. now you, of course. you get used is, to it right yeah yeah you get, right, so you get, it's the, your comfort level gets a little bit different when it comes to that it's like oh man i couldn't imagine ever making less than this much revenue and then it that number just keeps going up and up as you get bigger and bigger yeah for sure we definitely get um used to those new levels so right so i'm, I'm super intrigued let's 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 um go back to the so you're selling cell phones um and you, you've gone from lead generation you're selling cell phones and and mm -hmm. just to remind me was it was it the lead generation or the cell phones that you were doing and making about two grand a month and and convince the wife to let you leave the electrician job which which one of those was you doing well selling cell phones i don't even think i was making a thousand bucks a month okay. um but it was just something stable but not stable yeah. um it was a commission based i got a base you know base salary and then i had you know basically i made commission if i sold more phones i got more money um but it was my side hustle my lead generation my kind of side business i think i was making i don't know 1500 bucks to two grand a, a month um and at that time it was like oh my god this is great um because when you're used to you know, making 500 bucks a week for, or if that after taxes and stuff for being an electrician, you mm. know, making 13, 14, 15 bucks an hour at that time, um, you know, working manual labor, that was kind of a, a big deal. Mm. Okay. So I, I've got, I've got two, two questions I want to, want to ask and they're completely different. Okay. And so you can choose to answer these in whichever <laughs> way, right? This is like one of those adventure books where you can choose your okay. own story. Okay. So the first question um, that I wanted to ask was, is there any kind of vivid memory of like a real particularly harsh, you know, KO, fuck off, I'm not interested in buying cell phones type story. That's one. 
And um, the the second part, uh, or the second question, completely unrelated, was do you remember the, 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 the exact moment or the exact piece of information that you took in or whatever that, that started you on your lead generation journey? And you can, A or B, you can choose. So the first one is the cell phone thing. Um, we were a subsidiary of Verizon Wireless. Right. So we weren't directly Verizon, but we were like basically a reseller of Verizon. We were an authorized retailer. And what happened is, is I knocked on the door of a business that was already controlled by corporate Verizon. And that got back up because we weren't supposed to step on toes. So if Mm. corporate Verizon had it, it was off limits for any retailer. So I got my ass chewed Mm. by corporate retail, um, their manager. It went up the chain. Um, at corporate Verizon, it went up the chain on the authorized retailer side of things. And we're not talking, I mean, I, I lived in rural North Dakota and, you know, small town and it went up the chain to corporate, you know, and I got my ass chewed from everybody and sideways because I basically was trying to drum up business and do my job. And I happened to stumble upon and tried to weasel my way into getting that contract. Yeah. And it was already a obtained by the contract down the street um so yeah that was my oh my god telling cell phone story um <laughs> so Legion, what how did you get question? so the other question was um what actually this is a two-part question what actually was the the catalyst that got you into lead generation which really seems to be like your entry into entrepreneurship and then at the peak of your lead generation or in the beginnings of your lead generation what was it what sort of traffic sources were you leveraging to get those leads back then Okay. Um, so I was doing network marketing um, when I first got introduced to everything back like 2001, 2002, you know, bump into people at the grocery store. You don't want to make some extra money uh, type scenario, belly to belly prospecting. I realized I did not like that mm-hmm. and wasn't any good at it. I pissed off a lot of friends and family uh, doing it. Um, nobody would return my phone calls, even if it was serious matter at that point. <laughs> so I figured there had to be a better way. So I found the internet. It's like, what do you mean I can leverage the internet to generate leads? Um, And I kind of leveraged other people, their expertise and their knowledge as an affiliate until I had enough traction and, and expertise or credibility or results to then go out and put my name on it um, as that side thing. So that, really worked out in my favor for, you know, generating leads, getting away from belly to belly prospecting, opened my eyes to personal development and all of those other things that come with network marketing and growth and things that we kind of take for granted now as seasoned entrepreneurs, um, you know, and you and I both becoming authors and doing all of that, that craziness that comes along with that. Um, But my lead source back then, it was the Wild West. I mean, it was literally the Wild West. You could run anything. When AdWords first came out, you could place ads and, you know, pay pennies for, you know, truckloads of traffic and truckloads of leads. And then the first Google slap came and all of those things. But SEO was where it was at back then. Um, I could rank for any, pretty much any keyword in two, three days. Um, Creating an article, doing a free WordPress site, linking the article to the WordPress site and then the WordPress site to my landing page. 
Um, and it was, it was really the wild west. I mean, I remember ranking seven out of the top 10 spots for a certain product keyword, basically link jacking (laughs) was before it was, we knew what it was. Mm. Uh, I just hijacked the product title just by writing an article. I wrote and woke up three days later and be like, I didn't even know how I did that, but I had, you know, seven out of the top 10 spots and then reverse engineer it and uh, take things from there. But yeah, I was, um, yeah, it was really just straight up wild west until that first Google slap. I mean, we were generating at the peak, I don't know, 900 to a thousand leads a day um, into our business. You know, we sold 4,000 customers a month um, at our peak and then Google slap. And we, you know, basically lost, you know, a thousand leads a day um, from when Google, you know, cracked down on everything that it is now. But um, yeah, I mean, we, it was really that, I mean, I was doing stuff before Google AdWords was really even a thing. And so, and so, um, I think this is this is something. This is one of my subjects. I love speaking to to seasoned entrepreneurs, and and you know, obviously, you're not old, but you're yeah. seasoned, right? You've got the got the experience under your belt. You've got at least a decade under your belt. You're seasoned, as far as I'm concerned. And so, one of the things that I think, that genuinely, I think that um, uh, the reason we see uh, more multimillionaires in their 30s and more billionaires in their 40s or 50s is just because of the sort of experience that comes with you know um one failing and picking yourself back up but two Mm -hmm. also spotting an opportunity seeing all the the hallmarks of an opportunity later on in your life and going this looks really like the thing that i experienced and had some success on however long in the past um but didn't really jump in like i'm gonna fucking remortgage my house to to take on this opportunity and to plow money into this opportunity so for you um how did the uh you know it was as you said it was the wild west you were generating leads for for you know pennies you were able to rank the um rank websites uh you you know like in three days um all of that stuff how did do you feel that set you up um, for recognizing opportunities now and, and what's your sort of tolerance or approach to an opportunity or maybe your checklist or things like that now? Um, my checklist has kind of changed a little bit. I mean, I wish I would have kind of taken more advantage of that um, kind of Wild West days back then mm-hmm. because there wasn't I mean, if I would have known things like I know now about like, you know, dietary supplements and, you know, all of these, you know, what CPA networks are and all of these type different traffic sources and and, and variability and offer creation and all of that stuff that I kind of learned and failed my way into um, over the years, I would be a hell of a lot wealthier today because of it, <laughs> because I would have been able to capitalize on it back then. Looking back, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Um, but my risk tolerance is fairly high now. It, it, it used to not be the case. Um, but I generally see if somebody's spending money on it, meaning that the consumer is spending money in that area, then chances are the need is there. Um, especially if there's already somebody kind of market research esque, but I'll usually jump in and just let it fly. I mean, I kind of go forward like a wrecking ball and just break stuff and see what sticks. 
at that point. And luckily, my business partner balances me out and processes it and is very methodical behind that. But yeah, I just come in swinging. And if some kind of opportunity or chance is there, um, we'll make it a go or we'll give it a try in some capacity. In fact, he just sent me uh, something late, late last night uh, that was he was like, oh, yeah, here's so-and-so's doing this and here's this. And it's kind of dabbled in. It was touching on something that we had thought about or talked about previously. And I just replied back. I said, yep, let's do that. Like, whatever it is, like, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, we'll figure out how and what and where. But we have to try that in some capacity, which will then build up a better strength for our existing brand. Um, it'll allow us to expand and open up the reach. And I was like, just whatever, let's try it. It's the same thing with, you know, marketing channels that we're doing now. Um, my risk is, is very, you know, I, I risk a lot, you know, mm -hmm. I'll try something at any time. It's like, oh, that service claims that they can do X, Y, and Z or whatever. How much is it? Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's give it a test because we don't know until we test. Um, you know, testing out sponsoring trade shows, for example, you know, that's something that we spent a lot of money and no return on to figure out how to do it effectively. Mm. And now it's an effective channel for us, but it took a lot of risk and being uncomfortable spending an inordinate amount of money trying it um, and failing miserably at it the first, you know, seven or eight times that we did it. Sure. And so how would you say, like, what person, what are your strongest personality traits and how does your partner, what, what is the uh, yang to your ying, if you like, in your partner and his personality traits and how does that work well together in your business? Um, I'm the outspoken one. Um, tell it like it is. Go forward, break stuff. See what happens. And then he's the complete polar opposite. Like he's quiet. He's reserved. Um, he's very methodical. He's process oriented. He just got a degree in economics. He's, he understands systems and processes. And he is the one, like, I don't care if it's done 80% as well, but I'm going to process it out and somebody else is going to do it. Um, his philosophy is I want to work less than two hours a week and still get the same outcome. My philosophy has always been, and I've learned from him over the years, is if it's going to be done right, it's going to be done by me. And I've gotten away from that and started slowly embracing his philosophy. And the way that we balance each other out is that's it. I'll just go in and make some waves. And he captures the energy from those waves and makes it into a systems and processes. And then he works with our team to make sure that that evolves. And then I go in and I make my opinions heard and be the bad guy usually. And, <laughs> and then he comes up and cleans up the mess. It all sounds very familiar. Do you know what your Myers-Briggs type is? I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, 16personalities.com. Everybody listening, it's a free test. I recommend this to my friends and family. I recommend it to absolutely everybody that I work with. Um, it's an amazing site, 16personalities.com. It gives you like eight pages of information about you and how you react in different uh, family and work and in management and as a subordinate and in um, life and decision. It's, it's amazing. But um, right, okay, so so we took a little bit of a tangent. Um, regular listeners will know that that is what we do. That's kind of like um, a big sort of part of this podcast. But let's go back again. 
Um, so it's it's the Wild West. You're doing lead generation by night and phone sales by day. What happened? <laughs> what happens next? Well, I had taken, I'd become a number one affiliate for that company. I said that we grew um, and I ended up being partners on that company, getting a 25% stake in the company along with another gentleman. Uh, nice. So there was three of us. Um, we grew the company um, that first year, I think from like 600,000 to, he was already doing like 600,000 when we joined, um, grew it to four and a half million, I think the next year. And then we grew it to just shy of 9 million, I believe the following year. Um, and I acted as kind of the admin CMO, CFO slash tester. So I was always kind of doing split testing and optimization during that time and did that for that company. Um, but again, I was kind of that role where I made, you know, kind of some mess, but I was kind of the organized mess. Mm. So I was the most organized out of everybody there. Um, so I kind of kept some chaos to a minimum, but I'd sold that back. It was my time to leave. Um, we just weren't seeing eye to eye anymore. Um, kind of some friction that didn't need to be there. So it was my time to go. So I sold my partnership back to them in late 2009. Um, I think it was November or so 2009. I'd sold it back to my business partners and uh, moved on from there. And so you were the, you were the, um, the number one affiliate um, and that led to, you know, you made waves, you'd caught the attention of the owners. They said, hey, Justin, come and join us in the company. We'll give you a 25% stake. What was the, um, what was the, the uh, either the category of the product or the product itself that you were selling? It was info. Info? Yeah, so like, info like a, training. Like a, okay. Yeah, it was just, um, you know, how to internet market for a specific niche um, and, you know, we had all the training programs of various price points and different angles and, you know, different, you know, um, I guess different skills for different things. Like we had an, a PPC course, we had a, you know, how to do certain things on a budget. We had a free traffic program. We had a monthly newsletter. We had a mastermind. Um, you know, we had all of, all of those things, <laughs> um, when it came down to massive affiliate program, um, our own system and kind of philosophy and solution behind it. Um, so like a breeding ground for entrepreneurs, for budding entrepreneurs to, to come in and learn the ropes and go off and kick ass on their own. And so, so, you, um, and so got to the point there's, um, you know, there, uh, there wasn't necessarily eye to eye seeing, um, you sold back your shares, you moved on. What was the next thing that you went into? So I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. So it was just a jump. You just, you just went, fuck it. I'll figure it out. I, I didn't know. I mean, okay. my wife was not happy with me. Because um, <laughs> so this all happened like the, the, princip the time that it was my, that I said it was my time to leave to the time that the, the, all of the deal was done and I was out was like Ooh. three days. Ooh. Like it was quick. It was That's in nice. and out. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. It's like, maybe I'll consult. Um, I didn't know. I, I frankly did not know what I was going to do, but it ended up being that I got asked by a very prominent uh, internet marketer. Um, I won't mention names, but if I mention his name, everybody and their brother would know who I it is. I think I know the name. I, I'm a big fan of this guy. I'm a big fan <laughs> of this guy. I think I know. He but he basically asked me, he's like, so what are they going to do without you? I was like, well, I don't know. Um, they're just going to do what they do. Mm. Uh, and then he's like, well, 
you're really good at X, Y, and Z. Why don't you go do that? So what happened was I was really good about the implementation. So I could set up a sales funnel or a lead generation pages and process and flow and everything very quickly. And I can test test it and optimize it very quickly. And most people were hung up on that. You know, we didn't have the landing page builders. We didn't have all of that stuff, you know, six, seven years ago or the very makings of that. And so I just went into consulting and people asked me, like, what are you going to do? You know, can you help me with this implementation? Uh, can you help me set up landing pages? Can you help me with split testing? Because I had published some information on some split test results and some case studies. And they just said, let's, can you do that for me? And I took on eight or nine clients of my own. And then I decided to build a software, which if this was the biggest regret I had in my entrepreneurial journey, it would have been to stick with that. Because I essentially built Optimizely before Optimizely was a thing. Right. <laughs> And optimizely um, for the for people that aren't familiar is split testing software. Um, they're massive now. I think they've got four hundred some employees, two offices, New York or three offices probably now, um, probably more than that in employees. Massive revenues. Um, but I built a split testing tracking and heat map software, and I didn't have the first clue about how to build a split testing, tracking, and heat map software. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all of my backups failed. I didn't know anything about rollout or versions or whatever. I'm like, I just needed to do this. Let's make it do this. Yeah. Um, and I built that. Then all my backups failed. I had over a thousand customers. All hell broke loose. The world came crashing down and I had to close the doors on it. Um, but if I would have known now, I would have kept pushing on that. And um, But, you know, coulda, woulda, again, But yeah, I had done all of the publishing and I had, I had taken on nine or 10 clients during this time, basically doing everything myself because I'm going to be done right. It's going to be done by me. Mm -hmm. Um, One helper and had one outsourced designer. And I was setting up all the split tests myself. I was doing all of the reporting. I was doing all of the phone consults. I was doing all of that stuff. And then my longtime friend, who is now my business partner, approached me and he said, hey, can you help me fulfill on some of these things? I was like, well, you already have a team. You've got sales going. You've got all of these things. And he was essentially doing what I was doing, but he already had a team and a staff and he was starting to sponsor some events and and such. And I just said, well, why don't we just teach this stuff? Because we both come from an info background marketing, you know, angle and He's like, okay, yeah, let's teach it. So we threw each threw seven hundred and fifty bucks into a into a bank account. Yeah. Um, just on an idea, and we came up with the idea of what well, we're going to teach optimization and okay. you know getting a better ROI on your advertising and you know how to effectively split test and how to how we basically took a single landing page and collectively turned it into over twenty million in sales. How did we do that? Um, it's through split testing and optimization and being patient and, and something that people weren't teaching. They were teaching traffic, but they weren't teaching the optimization side. Needless to say, that failed miserably. Um, but it sparked something that is now what we have. And that was we were running a webinar and got a lot of people interested in learning it, but they wouldn't pay to learn it further. Um, they just said, that sounds great. This all is awesome. Can you just do this for me? 
And with that, our first client kind of interactions together happened. Um, then we joined forces fully um, and that evolved and morphed into what is now Conversion Fanatics. And we less than probably eight months, eight or nine months of kind of bringing on a few clients, working out some kinks and doing those things back in 2000, early 2014 was when this happened. Um, and that kind of morphed into then, you know, January 1 of 2015, we started operating as Conversion Fanatics uh, LLC um, and the name, but we had already kind of established that, you know, brand name and switched over to that site beforehand. Uh, but made it official with the company name, um, January 2015. And it's kind of morphed into now 20 plus employees, you know, big office with the name on the building and all the craziness that has come from it. <laughs> Boom. And, um, you know, massive congrats with that. And so, so for, uh, for, you know, um, you know, say, say for whatever reason, I've got a complete muggle on the podcast. Um, and let's face it, actually, actually, no, I, you know, that I might be doing a disservice there because actually, um, conversions and optimization is actually something like there's, there's, um, you know, pretty big businesses out there who, it hasn't necessarily occurred to them that, hey, by the way, I don't have to be happy with the performance of the traffic that I'm getting at the moment. This does isn't how it has to be. I can make tweaks to make the same traffic perform better. That's something mm -hmm. that, I mean, I remember it, it wasn't that long ago, actually, that I had that brain fart. So I'm going to take back that word, uh, muggle. But can you, in the simplest of terms, explain to the audience what the fuck Conversion <laughs> Fanatics does and why it's awesome. Because I, I, I dedicated a chapter in my latest book to yeah. what you do. I think it's awesome. But let's let's really delve into that in, in, in layman speak. What does that mean? So what we do is we make marketing more effective by figuring out what the visitors like and don't like through testing. So basically we're comparing an apple to an orange and which do people like which do the majority like more an apple or an orange and we are testing that throwing it out to a larger audience saying hey i've got an apple and an orange which one do you pick um so we're testing things like colors on page and layouts of pages and all of the elements that visitors or potential customers see and we test every single one of those elements to help make them do more of the things that we want them to do. That's either fill out a form or buy a product. Is just is the quick terms of it, of what we do. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna delve. I'm gonna pull at that thread a little bit. Um, and so and so just to be clear, um, you specialize in e-commerce stores. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, uh, I majority. Yeah, majority. But you do others as well. Yeah. And uh, and so and so these are these are businesses that already have traffic or people coming to mm -hmm. their store. They're already making sales, so they've got enough traffic and traction that um, that uh, that you're able to perform tests. Because let's face it, if they're getting one person visiting their site a month, it's very difficult to do a split test on that. Yes. Um, and you're uh, based on what? Based on experience and previous case studies, and um, and and then a little bit of intuition and hunch you're creating hypothesis so you're saying i suspect that if i tweak this move this change this th we may end up getting a higher conversion rate or more people clicking on the main button that we want or the or more people doing the actions 
that we want them to do at that stage in the funnel. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. yeah. And when doing when you're doing conversion rate, where where so if if we have our funnel where we've got people coming in at the top, so the visitors to our website and people um, uh, entering their credit card details and actually checking out at the bottom, where do you prefer to start um, in terms of your your optimization? At the top where there's loads of traffic, um, or at the bottom where it's where we're talking sales. Depends on where where the other data points us. Because uh-huh. um, we're looking for friction points. So is the friction at the top? Is the friction in the middle? Is the friction post checkout? So Could what be. does friction mean? Talk to uh, me about means friction. That it's, there's a roadblock. There's something that's causing uh, a load of these visitors to not do what it is that we want them to do. Like it's a big uh-huh. hole in the bucket. Like yeah, there's a lot there's of people a hole. leaking away for some reason. Yeah, it could be that, you know, 90% of people are bouncing and abandoning cart. It could be that they're adding a product to cart, but they're not continuing to check out. Um, could be that they're viewing the homepage, but they're not actually viewing products. You got a high bounce rate. Um, and every business is different. But it's it's really just finding out those key problem areas and those areas of focus and kind of working with what the business owner or the marketing executive or what their team thinks the focus is and what their key objectives are as a company. So collaborating and pulling all of that information together to figure out where we need to start the efforts. But generally, it's just dive in, Um, Mm. find where you feel that there's some problem areas, dive in, start testing to see what holds the most weight in the eyes of the visitors. Do they actually care about, you know, trust and proof? Do they actually care about, you know, the star ratings and reviews? Do they care about this button color? Do they care about this image style? What do they care about the most? Um, and really figuring that out and then letting that be the guide. And so before we jump into the quick fire questions, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that the listeners will want to understand how big a deal is this? Like what kind of what kind of um, results have you got in the in 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 the past? But but translated more to bottom line dollars or pounds or euros <laughs> or Australian squiggles um, in their bank account. Um, we've worked. Let's see. We've worked with over two hundred companies to this point, and I would say the number's close to a hundred million in additional revenue. Wow. Um, and so, but but for like, for like maybe one in in terms of increase in percentage uh, revenues or something that you might have, um, yeah. Maybe maybe we don't even go to the extremes because people might think that's a rare case of scenario. If we could sort of say like an average increase in revenue that you tend to achieve, um, uh, thirty thirty five percent. Boom. Give or so, take. And and how quickly do you tend to achieve that? Um. Six months. Six months? Yeah. And, it, you and know, does I mean, it gradually increase to that rate or does it go, yeah. you know, sort of boom? It's it's hard. It's really hard in the conversion world to quantify it. Of course. <laughs> um, of course. But, you know, it's the scalability and growth factor of what we do that it's applied there. So it makes everything else more effective because mm. the better you can identify and connect with your audience, the better everything's going to be. Um, but we just ran a split test for a large volume company that's going to add. My project manager came to me and she's like, um, is this right? It says <laughs> my calculations say three and a half million in improvement. I was like, well, yeah, 
that's yeah, that's right. I mean, if you actualize it, you know, over the course based on previous, you know, historical data, yeah, it's about a three and a half million dollar improvement. Yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, it it, it happens a lot, um, but it just really makes everything more effective. And Perry Marshall said it best. Um, he said when I interviewed him, I don't know, a year and a half or two years ago. He said the only way for exponential growth is through testing and optimization. Um, he's kind of the godfather of, you know, what is now AdWords. And he wrote the best-selling book recently, 80-20 Sales and Marketing. Hmm. But he just said that that is the only way for exponential growth. And that's what we've seen is it helps you evolve and adapt and change and and move in the direction as we're ever evolving and changing and buying habits change and distractions become more prevalent and all of these elements in our noisy digital landscape that it makes it much easier for you to do it because your competition isn't. Mm. So the better you can market and the better you can connect with your audience, the better off you're going to be in the long term. Absolutely. And, you know, as I reiterate your, your chapter, I don't know, fucking seven in my book. I, I've got a book right in front of me. I could check which chapter you're in, but um, I'm that lazy. But um, the fact is as well, you know, for that company, take that as an example, those increase in sales, um, that's not the end of it, right? Those That's more people that they've got as, as customers. That, that's more customers that are going to come back for, because, you know, businesses, it's yeah. about repeat orders. That's more people that are going to have a good experience and tell their friends, which will result in more sales. That's more people that are going to leave reviews, which will result in more sales. Like it's it's got a it, there, there's untrackable things like good things that come from that as as well. Yep. Yep. He's like yeah, sure. three point five <laughs> millions and what and what right yeah, um, yeah. You no, know, just like, a normal Monday. <laughs> just yeah. just Monday, right? Um, okay, so we're gonna change uh, we're gonna change pace here. Um, so you know, obviously we we're, we're up to date in terms of in terms of your journey. We can see um, how you got there. Um, you know, you're bossing it um right now so we're gonna we're gonna change pace i've got a bunch of um questions which sometimes the uh the interview guests see these in advance um i try not to give them too far in advance so it's not like a scripted answer i like to try and put them in on the spot as much as they're comfortable with but i tried to give you these questions before this interview and you went yeah it's cool <laughs> just hit me with them so so you know i didn't know there's gonna be a rapid fire portion uh, though yeah there's rapid fire right so you're gonna duck and weave um and uh, you know we've got a healthy amount of time left in the hour so i'm, I'm excited about this so i'm I, I, you know and the regular the regular listeners uh, are familiar with these questions and let's let's delve into let's probe justin right let's probe justin fine i know what i said i know what it means and i'm, I'm okay with that All right <laughs> so justin Question one. Are there any unusual things you eat or drink regularly and why? Some unusual things. Mm -hmm. I eat an obnoxious amount of kimchi. <laughs> kimchi? <laughs> yeah. What is kimchi? Uh, it's the Asian kind of coleslaw, essentially. So it's fermented cabbage with spicy fermented cabbage. Um, but yeah, I eat that on a lot of stuff. Why? Um, just for the probiotic benefits. I'm kind of a health junkie. Um, and then I, I drink an obnoxious amount of sparkling water. Like it's almost like a disgusting amount. I'll drink well over a 12 pack of cans like of these a day. 
And is that can just plain? I mean, we, so we're recording the video. Those of you that are just listening, apologies. But on the, those of you watching the video, so that can that you're holding in your hands right now, that's that's just plain sparkling water, or? Yep. Well, it's blackberry flavored, but yeah, I mean, literally, I buy cases of it um, for the office, and nice. I drink a lot of it. And is there a why? Is it like a it's like a fizzy drink substitute for you, or, or why? Do, yeah. Why do you drink so that? I got on a health kick. Um, you know, a handful of years ago and I started intermittent fasting and to help me feel like full, um, during the day I found that the sparkling water helped me feel like I wasn't as hungry, um, as I got adjusted to it and I just started drinking more and more of it. And, um, it's just kind of become a a bad habit now. So I'm actually trying to break that habit. That's why I have the cup, um, today, which has actually got water, but I, um, just sprained plain spring water in it. But, um, yeah, that's kind of my, my vices a little bit, I guess. Nice. But as far as vices go, let's be clear. You're not like the, the, the junkie that we, we met in Vancouver saying that's mighty good <laughs> heroin, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a spectrum of your bad habit is you're drinking, you know, uh, fizzy water flavored with blackcurrant yeah. and trying to kick yeah. it. Okay, cool. Let's move on. Um, so question number two, how do you get yourself into a state of flow? Exercise. That starts the pace for everything that I do. Um, we were talking off camera before, like this morning I was up um, three days a week. I'm in the gym kickboxing by 5.30 in the morning um, and it really starts my day. Um, and I found a direct correlation that to get me into a flow, if I'm having trouble or I'm struggling in some capacity, whether it be personally, professionally, that I have slept on something on my health side. So if I am not going to the gym, if I'm not, you know, avidly reading or if I'm not working on myself physically, then everything else suffers. Um, so to get into a flow, I find that exercise really helps to me um, to spark ideas. I'll just grab a book off the bookshelf of one of the you know, many that I have or, um, you know, get recommendations and go buy it and try something different. But usually even just reading a chapter out of a book will, you know, spark some flow or some ideas uh, that I might have. Nice. I like that. What habit or opinion do you have that other people tend to disagree with? What habit? Habit or opinion? Um, I mean, we could probably, I mean, one of them that I don't speak all the time with speak is Speak about political. it! Oh, no, um, no, don't speak about it. I'm bored. No, I don't. I'm interested not in that. Get into that. That's the only one that people probably don't have the same opinion. I mean, maybe my philosophy on how I optimize. Um, I know I've, I've butted heads with, you know, some people on kind of my leadership style. Um, okay, let's delve into that one. Um, I mean, really, I'm just to the point. Um, so a lot, it's taken me a lot of stuff to learn how to communicate with different types of employees and different personalities as we have a vast array of different personalities and backgrounds here at the office is they think that I'm always grumpy or I'm not approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to set the stage of that first and foremost, because when I'm in the zone, don't bother me. And I tell people that if you don't hear from me, that's the best compliment I can give you. Um, so really just adapting and changing to that. And some people see it not as the correct leadership style. They think it, I should be a little bit more rah-rah and help build up the team. But I think that that has really helped us 
solve the problems and become better because it's not me telling them or pointing. It's you solve the problem and you tell me how you fixed it or how we can make it better. And, and that's, that's really helped kind of evolve and change and, and bring the culture to what it is in, in the business. Sure. So you're not, you're not some kind of, I think so. I think so. So you're not some kind of slap ass, go get them type leader. You're more like, you know, I'm quietly monitoring from behind the scenes. I'm checking my important numbers and you'll hear from me if you fuck up. You'll also hear from me when I'm on a, on a, on a push to, to educate or to, or to, you know, um, help you with your skills. Have you, out of interest, have you read the book principles, Ray Dalio? Oh yeah. How did you resonate with the kind of teachings on learnings in that book? Uh, eh. I mean, Ray's listening. Own, by the way, I, I mean, I take yeah, he's listening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I take I take a little bit out of every book, and I just in kind of my philosophy around all of that is, if I can just be one percent better, well, your book, ha, <laughs> 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 funny. I didn't mean that as a pun, but um, that just kind of slipped out. <laughs> The one percent secret, yeah. <laughs> but it is. That's that's yeah. the thing. It's it's the the principle of kaizen. You know, the continuous improvement daily. So if we're just better in one particular area, just even one percent, um, and that means everything in our business. If our process could be that much quicker, if we could be, you know, faster, better, cheaper, whatever it can be, I want it to happen, and I try to embrace and support our staff to do the same thing. Um, and that's, that's really helped kind of foster what is the culture around here now. So everybody's kind of independent to do their own thing and we make it very collaborative too. So no ideas are stupid ideas. We let everybody have their, their ideas heard. And then, like you said, if I'm, if I don't like it, I'm going to say something and I'll applaud you if you did a great job on it, but, um, I'm not the, you know, high five, rah, rah you know, here's your trophy kind of guy. Cool. I like that. So um, if you ran a school but could only teach one non-traditional lesson, what would that lesson be? We're going to skip the fact, we're going to skip the story as to how you started running a fucking school, by the way. We're just going to go straight to the, <laughs> to like, like, if you yeah, can only teach me to school. Yeah, there's not like offers for Justin to run a school. Um, but like, if you could teach one non-traditional lesson, what would that be? Non-traditional lesson would be business finance. Tell me why. Like how to understand in the language of money. That would be me, like how to read a simple balance sheet or a profit loss statement or how to, you know, look at a specific financial document and understand it. Because I think there's far too many people out there that do not understand the language of money. Um, They don't understand how it the how it flows and you know it takes money to you know make certain amount of money and there's budgets and there's things that evolve from that because I think a lot of people when they come into it from an employee mindset they think that it's just never ending that but if and i've seen it a lot too even with staff that they'll come and be like oh yeah thanks for that but can i have more it's Mm. like it doesn't work like that um there's a balance in there that has to happen and they just see that it's a never-ending faucet that oh yeah we do work we get paid it's like, well, it has to come from somewhere. So if I turn off the faucet, everybody suffers. Mm-hmm. So 
understanding that um, the health side of things, I think would help people understand how the world works a little bit more, you know, from a capitalistic nature um, that everything was created by someone or something. And it, it kind of works as a revolving door around all of that. So yeah, enough of that. But yeah, that I would just say the language of money would be one thing that I didn't learn until later in life when I was kind of forced to learn it. And mm-hmm. I think it would help people at a much earlier age uh, to embrace more of what money can do and, and how it all works in the in the real big world. And if you could pick one, where would you suggest? Uh, obviously, this isn't a scenario where people would only pick one, but like in terms of which is more important, do you think um, the the focus should be more on money that's going out or money that's coming in? I mean, I think they're pretty equal. Mm. I mean, they really are because you need money. I mean, if you have expenses, but I I I've switched my mindset and my philosophy around this. It used to be like, hey, let's cut expenses. But I've switched to kind of the profit first mentality. Um, so I focus on that more so over the expenses. Um, so I've, I've changed my thinking on it recently. It, this has been pretty recently and then probably mm-hmm. six or nine months um, on how I approach business as a whole. So I don't necessarily look at as money going out if it's the proper investment. So is it does it have the potential to return more money coming in? Um, if it's unnecessary, um, you know, I tend to look at it a little different, but even my business partner brought up something interesting the other day. Some of the staff is wanting new office chairs and I'm like, well, why do we need that extra expense? We have perfectly fine chairs now. He's like, well, it brings up the morale. If it makes them feel more comfortable, if it does this, you know, productivity and all of these other things that you can't quantify, um, I just see it as a line item and an expense that won't necessarily bring the money back, but he thinks of it as it'll have the compounding effect and it'll bring money back. We just won't see it directly. Okay, so so that brings up an interesting point. So previously, you've talked about how you're you know make you're um, you're getting great return from trade shows, having booths at, at um, events and things like that. How would you approach that? Like like now, if you're if you're saying, hey, okay, so um, uh, X Y Z wants you to pay them fifteen grand to sponsor a booth. How would you approach that? Because there are no guarantees, obviously. So what in what kind of uh, process would go through in your head to to make to justify that? Um, Who's the what's I I look at the demographic. I look at the attendees. I look at the number of sponsors. I look at the previous events that they had put on. Um, Hopefully they have some of that data. Um, I might talk to some previous sponsors. Um, Usually we're kind of the ones that are in a category of our own. Usually there's lots of softwares and some other marketing services, but nobody doing exactly what we do. Um, So just we really just look at the demographic and size at this point. So we tried a lot of shows and now we kind of know what message resonates with that type of audience, what type of collateral we need to bring to the show, um, what type of booth setup we need to bring to that show because we've, we have the case study, we have the, the track record there on what works. Um, and really it just does come down to the demographics of that show and is the show sizable enough for us to get a return. So, you know, if it's only a 200 person event, but it's only marketing executives that paid $20,000 to be part of this group, that might be a good group for us to be in versus we just sponsored a show in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago. And it was very 
local event, rah-rah, bunch of people registered, but it was free. It was a lot of newbies, a lot of tire kickers. It wasn't our ideal audience. We only did it just kind of as a test. It was cheap and um, it was for a good cause. So we said, hey, let's go to Las Vegas for a weekend and, uh, you know, hang out and do our thing. Um, and will yeah. it turn into something? Maybe because it was some exposure. There was some I had some good conversations with some people that were speakers and 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 got to reconnect with some old friends that happened to be there. So it might turn out to be something just for the sheer exposure of it. But mm. for direct apples to apples return on investment, it was it was a bust to us. Okay. And will we sponsor it again? Probably not. Um, that makes sense. But so yeah, long-winded okay. answer. I like that long-winded answer. It's good to see the kind of um, things that are coming in. Like um, uh, my mastermind, uh, Cartel's mastermind, um, you know, we've sponsored events in the past. And actually, you know, the first event for us was a little bit of a long shot. We literally just went, well, there's this many people. Um, and, you know, we, we want to be talking about this, this, uh, this particular product that we offer, uh, which was our luxury mastermind. And, and, you know, if we can get, if we can close one person two people you know we're in profit but the exposure we we played more the exposure angle and we're like hey look, you know it'd be great for more people to know what we do because what we do is fucking awesome um but it's really interesting uh, to see actually the, the 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 more of the the logic and um apples versus apples in apples out uh, mentality mm -hmm. so let's let's move on uh what other than your book what which actually the way this question is phrased it kind of does rule that anyway but what book and i'm going to exclude my book as well um what book had the biggest impact on your life you can't say what my book. book don't even don't even you have to say someone else's book justin's um what book had the biggest impact on my life um, from a marketing perspective, Influence, Psychology of Persuasion by Cialdini. Um, that's, I, I read that probably once a year. Um, so, I mean, that's probably the biggest one. The biggest one recently uh, is Playing to Win by A.G. Laffley. Um, and I've read that a few times. Um, he's the founder of Procter & Gamble. Um, you know, The Go-Giver. You know things like that from a personal development standpoint, but I read a lot of books, so wow. I get That's a little bit and piece out of every little one. It's super interesting that you mentioned the Go Giver. Literally, that my last guest on this podcast mentioned the Go Giver, and that was this week. And um, it's the first time I'd actually heard of this book, and now it's like two for two. Um, I'm already checking it out, but actually, there's a lot of different ones. So, was it like the original Go Giver, or was it the one for leaders or influencers, or the original Go Giver, the, the the red one? Okay. Any advice? for your previous boss, any of your previous bosses? Any advice from them? Um, no, for them. Any advice for my previous bosses? Yeah, what would you say to them so that they could become better bosses? Don't micromanage. Um, I had one that literally put cameras above my desk that would rotate. So could watch me wherever I was at in the facility when he was not there. Um, you know, it's that micromanagement thing. Let me do my job. I try to do that with my staff now. Um, I don't like micromanaging. Um, I hired you for a reason. You're good at what you do. Let's you be you. So, um, yeah, micromanaging is a big pet peeve of mine. I like it. 
Um, where do you go or what do you do to get inspired? Um, to the lake. So I go around the boat, um, go to the park with family. Um, I've got two little kids, so just seeing them go and try to fail and try different things and, you know, not micromanage them either and just let them be kids uh, really inspires me uh, to see them to try new things. But yeah, we spend a lot of time every year out on the water um, doing outdoorsy things um, and just enjoying life. Nice. And how old are your kids? Uh, eight and six. Eight and six. And so what um, and I love, I love interviewing um, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, um, who are also parents. What advice would you give to um, entrepreneurs who are now starting their parent entrepreneur who is also a parent type journey? Um. Work-life balance is BS. Um, it really is. Um, I try to separate it out, uh, but there's no balance. There's no never an off switch when you're an entrepreneur, um, and it's come. It's taken a while for my wife to kind of embrace that, um, especially um, is is that it's never off. So I'm always got something. There's something that I can be doing or something that needs to bring to my attention. And as it's gotten bigger, um, there's more people relying on me. Um, but one thing I have found to be very effective is, is making sure that you're there for the key things that need to be there. Um, so I'm always home for dinner every night. I'm unless I'm traveling, I'm always, um, there for putting my kids to bed um, I, I try to make it to as many school functions as I possibly can, but that just means that I'm going to have to sacrifice it someplace else. Um, so it might be that I go in a little bit earlier or I stay a little bit later one or two days uh, to accommodate for that. Um, but I'm getting better and better about not working to be busy, um, but working to be more productive because I'm, I'm very productive when I'm on. So I get more done before 10 a.m. than most people do all day or in two days. So it's filling the rest of that time um, isn't necessarily productive. So I'm pulling back on that. But my biggest advice is don't try to have work-life balance. There is no off. Um, sacrifice at other places. Be there for your kids and your family. You came an entrepreneur for a reason to have the flexibility. And my guess is most people that I talk to is to be with your family um and spend more time with them so be there for those important moments um as much as you possibly can obviously there are times when it's just not going to work uh, but yeah i mean that's that's the biggest thing i could probably share i like that i like that what's the best advice ever given to you um give without want and in turn you'll get um and that really comes from the fact that obviously be respectful of your time, but move the free line. And to me is I'm very giving of ideas or concepts or being gracious to people that ask my opinion or ask my thoughts on something without expecting anything in return. It's when people expect that they're going to get something back from it or they feel like they are owed 
um, that's when things can get kind of scary or rocky because then the ego steps in and all of these other, you know, feelings get involved. And I have just, I, I don't know why, but I've always, my entire career, it's just, I've always been very giving of that. It's bit me in the ass. Yes. Um, but it has come back tenfold. You know, I can't count how many times I've had conversations with people three, four years ago that all of a sudden they come back and say, hey, remember when we did this? Now it's time, you know, I need your help on something or, you know, I want to introduce you to somebody or, hey, you gave me a copy of your book. This happened a couple years ago. Somebody said, hey, can you speak? Can you fly up? We'll fly you up to Chicago, put you up in this hotel. We'll pay you this much money. Can you come and give a four-hour presentation training to my executive team? All because he, I gave him a copy of my book a year and a half prior. Um, and then that turned into more business and more business and more business, all because of that one, you know, I gave away a copy of my book. You know, it, it's 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 kind of crazy um, what happens. But yeah, that's my biggest thing. I like it. And I definitely recommend people um, listening, check out Justin's book called Conversion Fanatics. Is that right? Yeah, no, it is. I have a Conversion. copy on... Go on. Fanatic, yeah, with no S. But. With no S, okay. Um, I have a copy myself on the bookshelf when Justin and I hung out in um, Vancouver. He brought like a limited number of copies and I uh, um, was kind of the first one to, to hustle and, and, and uh, grab one of those, those copies. But there was definitely disappointed people that didn't get one. But hey, huh. I enjoyed that. All right, so um, what silly thing should people do more of? What silly things? Yeah. I know you're all about silly, Justin, so tell us. I mean, not just the perfectly silly things, but just just go with the flow. It's not really a silly thing, but have a little more sarcasm in your life. Yeah. Don't think take things too serious. <laughs> um, I tell people when they come to work for us that it's like if you can't handle – uh, curse words and you can't or I always tell them if you can't handle the word fuck you're not going to fit in here and if you can't handle sarcasm we speak it fluently here so <laughs> we take our job very seriously we're dealing with a lot of serious stuff and if we can't have fun doing it what's the point um, yeah. it's going to be very stuffy around here and very difficult um, so the silly thing is is just don't take yourself so serious um, it's not truly an actionable thing to do silly um, but you know, there's a time and a place to be what you need to be. Um, okay. okay, so we come to the penultimate question. Would you, and this is an important one, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? And why? The why is important. One. Why? Because <laughs> that's only one moving target. But it's, it's the size of a horse. It's a duck. I mean, imagine how big those wings would be. What, 1,200 pounds? <laughs> I mean, it's a duck-sized horse. Sorry, a horse-sized yeah. duck. Horse-sized duck. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with horses, so... With wings and beaks? No, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say one. Okay, I, I still would say one. Because I can take down the one. Y. You can take down There's one. Weapons. I mean, <laughs> I could find weapons to take down one. I can trip up. I, I grew up farming and ranching, so... Large animals don't scare me. A lot of small animals would scare, you. scare me. Yeah. 
Lots of little. So it's like being dive bombed by a swarm of, you know. I mean, no, no, because I mean, they're they're duck sized horses, so there's not they can't fly, right? They're horses, but, but they bite, just the bite kick, and jump, and they would, attack yeah. you. No way! Uh, one big one. One big one. Yeah. Take it down. I like that. And then the final question, Justin, before um, we let you go, um, graciously, um, it's a very positive question. What makes you happiest? Seeing people succeed. Um, kind of cliche, but just seeing the rewards from all of the effort that I put in and helping so many great companies do what they do. Um, that and my kids, seeing my kids and my wife happy um make me happy so so um people that you have helped seeing success and 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 happiness as a result of things you've done yep um you know we help a lot of amazing companies help with a lot of amazing products to a lot of amazing customers you know so we're it's a trickle down effect um that we're helping you know millions of people with what we're doing get their hands on great products and services um so um seeing that really you know makes me happy that we're able to give some impact to the world um and then yeah back to my kids wife and kids so seeing all of that reward come back and then being able to relay it back to them to help them be happy i like that a lot it's a fantastic answer and so justin um for the audience today we've got a lot of people listening a lot of people um around the world um with various different um you know problems, challenges, whatever, different, very, very different people. But um, have you got any kind of ask or request of the audience listening to or watching today? Um, I guess the biggest thing request is just if you have a vision, you have a dream, you have something bigger that you can add value to, don't be afraid to say it. And, you know, it's kind of the ask for forgiveness over permission. But if you have the value, you have the answer, don't be afraid to share it. Um, shout it from the rooftops, go forward, be awesome, work every day to be a little bit better than you were the day before, um, and good things are going to come out of it. I think that's fantastic. And maybe buy your book, right? Eh, yeah. Yeah. If you can want. do that. <laughs> it's on Amazon. <laughs> it's on Amazon.com. Justin, you've been amazing, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Hey, Martin here again with an audio goodie bag of a bonus before you head off. First up, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please subscribe and follow Smarter Destiny across iTunes, YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. It really helps spread our message and you'll get valuable content along the way too. Secondly, if you have an e-commerce business or are thinking of starting one, grab a copy of my new book, 1% Secret, recommended by Kevin Harrington and a host of other elite guys even better it's free just help out with the shipping cost so head to smarterdestiny.com forward slash book to grab your free copy thanks so much and i'll see you on the next episode